0: Alright, let's have uh, Haley and Lily go with Miss Wilma and the rest of us can take our Bibles, go to Hosea chapter number 10 and then James chapter number 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to go to different places, but James chapter 4 will be where we end up. I'm going to read a verse from Hosea chapter 10 and then we'll go to James chapter 4 and we'll move on from there. Hosea chapter 10 and verse number 12. We were here on Sunday morning. We'll go there again. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. <clears throat> on Sunday, we were talking about how it's important that we break up our fallow ground, that we allow our soil to be broken up. And Miss Wilma was saying, you know, it's funny you were talking about that. I just... Went through the whole garden with my shovel and just broke up everything around my plants, trying to get the water down in deeper to the plants. But we're not talking about gardening here. We're talking about our heart. And it talks about break up your fallow ground of your heart and about allowing the heart to be broken and rototilled. And that's what, that's what we're, we're talking about here tonight. Now, why would God want us to have a broken heart? Why would God want us to have a rototilled heart? Because usually when you have a broken heart, you sometimes have teary eyes. And when you have a broken heart, you usually don't have a super excited look on your face. And matter of fact, a broken heart, would you agree, a broken heart goes with a humble spirit? Because a broken heart makes us humble. Even if you're like my friend who lost his wife this week, it it doesn't mean that he did anything wrong. But the fact that his wife was taken in an accident breaks his heart, which humbles his spirit. Do you understand? And so I don't think God wants to hurt us, but I do think he wants to break us and to, and to be able to remold us. And so he enjoys not so much the breaking and the broken heart, but what he can get from it. And here's what we're talking about. James chapter 4, James chapter 4 and verse number 6. James chapter 4 and verse number 6 and we'll also look at First Peter after that. But James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he giveth more grace. That's what you and I need more than anything. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. Harmony, who does God resist? The proud. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. See if you can finish this verse for me. For by blank are you saved through For by grace are you saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. So how do you get saved? By the grace of God. It's amazing grace. And so by grace we're saved. And so in order to even get saved, there has to be a humble heart. I mean, think about it. The Bible says here, we'll keep reading. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why is it that some people don't get saved? Because they don't, want to re- they don't want to resist the devil. They don't want to have to go through a humbling process. If you get to be an older person and you all of a sudden admit that you need to be saved, you're admitting that you lived a long time without really doing what God wanted you to do. Do you know that? And so that, cause- that causes humility. And then if you have to tell your friends, you know what, I don't do these things anymore. Uh, if you live a long time before you're saved, there's a good chance you might be doing something you shouldn't be doing. You might be drinking with your friends or uh doing other things with your friends that you won't be doing after you get saved. It could have been before you were saved that every Sunday was fishing day or football day, and now that you're saved you 're no fun anymore okay and so there's a humbling because you might end up losing some friends over this salvation thing. I, I really believe that some people don't get saved because they know what's going to happen. They know it's going to happen. And so they, they don't, don't want to humble themselves. They don't want to allow God to humble them. They don't, want, they don't want to be humble. So God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so it's, a, it's amazing when someone gets saved because it requires humility. I think that's why it's probably, that's why Jesus said as a, as a child... All right. And that's why we it's it's probably easier for a a lot of times for children to receive salvation because they are children. But the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the pride of self righteousness. Do some people not get saved because they're self righteous? They're already good enough as they are, you know? Exactly. Um, and they're ignorant of the true righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. And so submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's, so to be saved, you have to submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Your joy to heaven is humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I just want to read a couple other spots, just a few pages over to First Peter, chapter number 5, and verse 5 likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder yea all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but giveth grace to the humble there again he says it again God resists the what harmony God resists the proud and gives grace to the who to the humble humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time in Sunday school I've been teaching about the guy named David and what we find David doing was humbling he was keeping sheep and God resisted the proud. God resisted King Saul. God resisted David's older brothers. And God resisted all those people and gave grace to the humble. And when, when David stood before the Goliath, it wasn't David's amazing ability to sling a stone, although he might have had a good aim. But that's not why he won. It's because God gave him grace I mean, God can easily, could have easily not have grace on him, and he would have been in trouble. But he resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. And David was a humble servant, and God used him. God called him because he didn't care if he was a king or not. He just wanted to do whatever God wanted him to do. So there you have another, another passage, James 4, 1 Peter 5. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's go one other place, and we'll go back to James 4. So keep your finger in James 4. We're going to go to one other place, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners. Did you know that God scorns the scorners? You're scornful and you have a scornful spirit and you are haughty and you don't want to listen. He scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. I do not like being lowly. Nobody in here likes it. There's not one person in here that enjoys being lowly. It's against our nature to be the last one, to be the smallest one, to be the most insignificant one, to be the unnoticed one. That's just our, against our nature. But he gives grace to the lowly. David was the insignificant one. He gives grace to the lowly. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Back in James chapter 4, I going to look at some things with you concerning this idea he gives grace to the humble you see you can't have grace until you're what humble and you you need to allow God to humble you now humble yourselves it says but how many of us do that very well you know there's usually two kinds of people those who humble themselves and those who get humbled but we need to be humbled by God you know I'm going to show you something. I I have you keep your finger in James four, but Psalm one nineteen, Psalm one hundred and nineteen. Show you a couple verses here. Psalm one hundred and nineteen, and verse sixty seven. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word now I don't like problems I don't like spankings Um, there was a post this week about uh, you know kids today kids today that are that are abused by their mother and it showed this mother pointing her finger at her son and just chewing him out and it said 2020 abuse but back in my day, and it showed a picture of Rocky Balboa with his face all beat in. So this is what I look like when I talk back to my mother, you know. Uh, that wasn't necessarily true about me. I wasn't beat up like that. However, my mom was firm and disciplinarian, and my father was too. And I'm telling you, my spankings that I got, I didn't, I didn't like one of them, Mikey. Not one spanking did I enjoy. Not one time, Not one time did I enjoy it. But you know what? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. When I went to the Girls' Star Academy and the guys, but I went to the girls especially, I would, I would talk about, I would mention the word spanking. I remember the first time I mentioned something about spanking my children. And two girls in the front row went, <coughs> you know. And they just looked at me like I was a meanie. And so then I said, oh, and I kind of went off a rabbit trail because of their, <coughs> and I said, listen, when, when my kids were little, we had this telephone pole that's about 100 yards from the highway and I told my kids, "Do not cross that telephone pole because it's downhill, and your bikes you're going to get out of control, and you're going to end up flying down onto the highway. And they go 60 miles an hour on that highway." I said, and I said to the girls, "I said I told my kids all four of them. I said if I ever catch you on your bike past that pole, I will whip your rear end. I will spank you good. You will hurt." And, of course, those girls were looking at me like I'm a meanie. But then I told the girls, I said, listen, that that highway is 60 miles an hour. And that spanking, no matter how hard of a spanking it is on your rear end, you will recover from it. And I, and I I don't think beating is right. And I think three times is plenty to get your point across and to get the pain across. And a pain is a language that everybody understands, and it works. But my pain that I'm giving those kids with that spanking is very temporary compared to getting hit by a truck on the interstate or on the highway. And so I was telling those girls, look, I loved those children. That's why I spanked them. That's why I did that, because I loved them and I didn't want them to get hit by a truck going 65. And those girls started to look at me a little differently. And then I said something like, and you know what? My kids are a lot older now, and we don't even have to worry about that rule anymore because they're older and they're more responsible and, and all that. And, and, and we, In fact, I never spanked one of them for that particular thing. Never had to do it. They got the message. But they're older now, and they, they handle themselves. But you know what else? I have never, ever had to worry about my kids doing other things they ought not to do, like drinking alcohol. If, if any of my children, it's found out that they drink alcohol, I probably have to quit being a pastor because I just use this as an illustration and I mean it. Now, my kids, I don't think they ever, ever touched it. I don't think any of them have a problem with it now or drugs. There's other sins that they've gotten into and there's other habits that they have and we've had to work on that with some of them, but I'm telling you, there's some things, Why? Because we had some discipline and we had some affliction. We had some affliction in our family. And somehow we got in the idea that any kind of affliction is a bad thing and we should never feel pain. And we should never have affliction. But that's not true. David said concerning God, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 68, he said, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. And then he said in verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You know, I don't like affliction. I don't like pain. I don't like broken heart. I don't like rototilled heart that's all chewed up and torn up. I don't like it, and you don't either. But you know what? It gets me soft and more receptible to the word of God. I hear the Bible differently when my heart hurts. And you do too. When your heart's hard, you don't hear it. I hear it differently when my heart is broken. That I might learn thy statutes. The law of my, thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. That Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word I know O Lord that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me I don't have it in here with me but I was reading a poem this week about uh, my father taught me to dance and it was all about him doing the two step <laughs> like this he, and, and basically he's saying it made a man out of me Listen, I'm glad that my earthly father and mother spanked me and disciplined me because it kept me out of a lot of stuff that I didn't need to be in. But I'm also thankful I have a heavenly father. Did you know that what I just said about spanking is actually something that the Bible says God does? It says in Hebrews chapter number 12 that God loves the ones he spanks. So if you're in here tonight and God never spanks you, that's a real bad sign. If you, if you look over and you see somebody else and they never seem to get in trouble with God and they do all kinds of junk, you know what that means? According to Hebrews, it means they're not his kid. In fact, the word in, the, in Hebrews is bastard and not son. That's, that, that's why we don't use that word because it means fatherless, without, without a father. And so if you know that you can't get away with sin, like somebody else can that's a good thing that's a good thing that means god is looking after you when i was a kid my dad would spank me a lot my dad never spanked the kids on my street for the same stuff because they weren't his kids but my dad did worry about what i was up to and it is good i know O lord that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hath afflicted me can, can I tell you, we, we have this idea that God is all about love, fuzziness, fuzzy love, and and just sweet, you know, sugar. And we don't we don't we don't even see where Jesus. He was harsh. I mean, he took a whip and drove out the money changers in the temple. I mean, he said, "Get thee behind me, Satan!" To one of his friends. He he uh, rebuked the Pharisees, called them whited sepulchers, generation of vipers. Whew. But you know what? That doesn't mean Jesus wasn't love. Of course he was. But we got this idea that anything that offends must be bad. It's not so. And I'm telling you, what it does above everything else is it humbles us. I need that. I need the Lord to humble me. I need the Lord to humble me because I'm not very good at humbling myself. How about you? And so I want to show you that you need the grace of God because you need to get saved. And so if you're not saved... It's because you don't have the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. So only by grace can we be saved, and that requires humility. And a lot of people don't get saved because they will not be humble enough to do so. And only by humility and grace can you get anything else after that. Because I think just about everybody here assumes that they're saved, all right? So you know what? After I'm saved, do, do I still need grace? Oh, my. I need grace for so many things in my life. I need grace. Let me show you something. Go with me, we're we're in James 4, but we're talking about humility. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter number 6. We sang this tonight in Anchor Club. Genesis chapter number 6. We sing it every week at Anchor Club. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. It's a real short verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, why is that a big deal? Why don't we make a song out of that? What's that such a big deal? Well, you know what happened. Do you know, you know the story of Noah and the Ark? Who who was saved in the end of that story? Noah's family. Would you like your family to be saved? Would you like to rescue your family? It requires grace. How do you get grace? By being what proud or humble. humble. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I think people made fun of Noah. I think people made fun of Noah for building an ark, and and he built it for years. And I think people made fun of Noah. I'm sure Noah's kids got made fun of. I'm sure there was a lot of years where it just didn't feel very nice to be part of Noah's family. But in the end, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You need grace for the preservation of your family. I told you, not only did I get saved, my family got saved, my sister saved, Now my my parents are grandparents to kids that are saved. All of my parents' grandchildren are saved. You think about that. If you don't have grace in your life, you won't have saved grandkids. It doesn't come by being smart. It doesn't come by being all-knowing. Salvation and the grace of God comes by what? Humility. Humility and grace, and you get the grace of God to see that passed on to generation to generation. All of my parents' grandkids are saved. All of my wife's parents' grandkids are saved. That's not because they're smarter. That's because of the grace of God. It's the grace of God. If someone says something about our family and being good or, or, or impressive or whatever, the right answer is it's the grace of God. And Noah, I mean, when Noah stepped off the ark, the whole world belonged to him and his family. And I'm sure if we get to heaven, we'll be, we'll be talking to Noah. It'll be kind of cool to ask Noah some questions about the ark and everything. But you know what Noah's gonna tell you? It was the grace of God. Because I know a lot of, Noah could probably recall all these people that he knew that drowned, they never made it. Noah's family could talk about all the friends that they had drowned that never made it. Listen, it's the grace of God. That's the message we gotta get out to our family. Now, now, what if your family needs, needs to see your humble spirit, your humility, your ability to be able to admit your faults and your failures? What if your family needs you to see and to hear how that you blew it but God preserved and God forgave what if that was something your family needs to hear but what if we're too proud with our family to be able to admit that and we can't confess our faults with our family we're in trouble because we've got a stumbling we've got a wall in the way to keep us from reaching our own family or our friends what if we've got a coworker and we know they need to get saved but now we're mad at our coworker because they did something wrong to us or the boss is always treating them better and they brown nose the boss or whatever. And so we we build up this bitterness wall. Well, now we can't even witness to them because we got this wall in the way. And it's because of pride. And you know what? You know what grace runs from? Grace doesn't run run from people who are imperfect. Grace doesn't run from people who have problems. Grace runs from people who are proud. Grace runs runs away from people who are proud. And so, only by humility and grace can we get any of these blessings. So, the pre- preservation of our family. And uh, if you. I know some families right now, and they all claim to be saved, but they haven't gotten together for years. They won't talk to each other. There's such fighting. I, I don't know whose fault it is. I just know there's some pride there somewhere, you know? Isn't that sad? And they're, they're supposed to be Christians, but they, they, won't, have, they won't talk. Uh, I'm talking about family. You know, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grandkids. You know, every family doesn't necessarily get along, right? I mean, every family's got a Sam in it, so you, you know that that's probably going to happen. Seriously. But, you know, my family, we still appreciate the fact we're saved. We still appreciate the fact that we have a lot in common, and that they're, they're raising their children with the Bible. We might not agree in every area, but we're thankful. We we need to be thankful for them and be grateful for them. Same with our church family, as well. And so, our family—if we're going to have a right family—it's going to have to be by the grace of God. Not only that. Look at Second Corinthians chapter eight. 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Uh, Treg has made an appointment. He's getting the surgery in in two weeks. Uh, It was confirmed yesterday. And it was a blessing to Treg to be able to walk in, hand them the envelope that the church had collected for him. And they said, well, Mr. Treg, you only owe, I think it was $130 or something like that. What a blessing. Isn't that awesome? But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Acts I think it's chapter 20, maybe it's 28. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. As good of a feeling as it was to receive, it's even a bigger feeling to give. But you know what it takes to be a giver? It takes grace. You, if you said money, you're wrong. It takes money to be a giver. No, no. A lot of people with money that aren't givers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do, do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, their abu- the abundance of their, of their joy and their deep poverty. Now hold on a second. How that a great trial of affliction. Remember how affliction brings humility? the abundance of their joy they have great affliction and yet they have great joy how does that go together because because that affliction was bringing humility tearing up the soil and making them soft and they were they were full of the grace of god and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality okay let's let's put this combination together these people are afflicted and they're deeply impoverished Deeply in debt, deeply impoverished. They don't have much money at all. They're just poor. And yet the Bible says that they had liberal giving. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They begged us to, to receive what they wanted to give us. This they did not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. because see, grace, giving is grace. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. You don't need money to be a giver, you just need the grace of God to be a giver. Verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. By the way, did Jesus have a lot of grace? (laughs) Jesus has all the grace. You know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. There's somebody in your life that actually became poor for you. Now I'll be honest, I've given, over the years I've given, but I've never become poor for someone else like he did for me. Right? But that's, that's the ultimate grace example. And you and I, if we want to be a giver and provide for others, we need the grace of God. We don't need money. Money is not what makes us givers. It's the grace of God. And so the preservation of our family, the provision for others, and then also look at chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the power of God in our life, Second Corinthians 12 verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, Paul says there's a lot of stuff that was given to me, that was revealed to me, that was and an abundance, and, and, and it could make a guy proud because I knew a lot of stuff. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. I begged God that he would remove this thorn of my, out of my life. And God said in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now hold on a second. When you say, God, please take this thorn out of my life. is so, it's so. And God says, you know what? I've heard it three times, but I'm telling you. Instead of, instead of pulling the thorn, I'm going to give you more grace to handle it. Grace is more important than health. We always pray for my health. My health is my health. My health is bad. Pray for my health. We're always worried about our health. Grace is more important than your health. It could be that God doesn't necessarily want us to be completely healthy, but he wants us to be full of grace. And here's why. Because Paul says this, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That doesn't make any sense, but that's exactly right. The grace of God makes us strong in God, in him, and it's not necessarily the case that he wants to remove everything in our life that's uncomfortable. So let's go back to James chapter four. And consider what we've talked about now and go back and look at it again. James chapter four. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Sometimes the problem is we don't want to submit, we're wiggling around, we're on the we're on the vice, you know. We're on the wheel and he's trying to spin us around and mold us, and we're wiggling around. We don't, we're squirming around. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Verse 9 Be afflicted. Man, that's just not even American. Be afflicted. And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. I heard a preacher say this one time, and I was a kid, so I didn't even understand what in the world he's talking about. He said, "I've I've I've forgotten the ability. I've lost the ability to cry. I can't cry. I I don't have the. I don't have a broken heart like I used to. I don't cry. I think as I get older, I know what he's saying." Be afflicted in mourning and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. I think I think mirth is kind of an addiction. We're, we, we just always want to be laughing all the time, but we're not being serious enough to let God speak to our heart and rototill our heart and break up the fallow ground. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I just got two more places to go, and I'm done. Look with me in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Psalm 138. I'm going to read this to you while we go to Luke 18. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord be high, he hath respect. Unto the lowly, lo, the Lord be high; yet hath He respect unto the lowly. But the proud He knoweth afar off. No matter how high God is, God respects the lowly. But the proud He knows afar off. Remember, I mentioned it last week. Jesus is sitting in the temple, and there's all these wealthy guys walking in, and they're dropping in all their all their big coins, and they're I mean, they're making quite a show. I mean, the treasury box is just being and And the disciples are saying, wow, wow, look at what he gave. Wow, look at all that. Wow, that's amazing. And Jesus pointed out someone that probably nobody even noticed, this little lady, widow widow lady, who gave two mites, all that she had. Though the Lord be high, he has respect unto the lowly. But the proud, he knows them from a distance. I want to know God real, uh, real close. I want to know him close, not from a distance. I want him to know me close, not from a distance. Over in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18 in verse number 9, it says this. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. So, So the publican that was in the room, by the way, this is not a Republican. publican was a person who was a tax collector. And what he would do is he would skim off the top. He would go to people and say, you owe $350, but they really only owed $250. And so he'd steal from the people as well as collect the taxes for Rome. The Pharisee was never like that, at least not in public. Nobody knew that of him. And so the Pharisee says, God, I, I want to thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now listen to this prayer. God, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you that I'm not like other men are. Uh, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican here. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You look it up in the records. Now, we can, we can throw other things in there, though. Because I think all of us, if we're not careful, can pray like that to God. If you feed on Rush Limbaugh for three hours a day, you'll learn all kinds of things about other people that you can say, well, I'm glad I'm not like those people. If we're not careful, we can, we can point our, no, our finger and, and stick our nose in the air towards other people who have other issues or, and we think that we're better than them in some way or another. But then Jesus said in verse 13, the publican, standing afar off in the temple, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what he said? I'm a sinner. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not going to try to list all the good things I've done. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, Rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus said, you know which one of the two men went down forgiven and justified? The publican. Not because he was poor or not because he was a sinner. But because he was what? What's our key word tonight? He was humble. And because he was humble, what did he get? The grace of God. I hope I'm not going to embarrass anybody. And she told me last night she doesn't like to be in public. But we had Heather and Treg over last night. And you know what? You got a really good situation. Because if you'll stay humble, you'll have all the grace you can handle. If you'll stay humble. Some people are proud of the fact they have never, ever, ever taken drugs. You know it, you know what? Whoop-de-doop-de-doo. Some people are proud of the fact they have never, ever, ever drank alcohol. Whoop de doop-de-doo. They have never, ever, ever been in jail. But you know what? If you're proud of what you haven't been, you're just kind of like this Pharisee. And I feel sorry for them as much as I feel sorry for anyone because you can be trapped in your own self-righteousness and self-opinion. But when you're humble, and if that, re- if that requires some affliction, God's got lots of good things for you. God's got lots of good things for you ahead of you. But it requires humility. Humility. It requires the ability to be humbled. I appreciate when I see someone who's not afraid of looking like a fool or being humiliated in public. Uh, I don't like being humiliated in public. But I appreciate when someone says, you know what, I guess this is what's gonna happen, so I'm gonna let God... Use it for however he wants to use it. First time I ever baptized anybody was Easter Sunday, and I forgot to turn off the water, and the baptistry overflowed, and I had to go deep-sea diving just to pull the plug out of the bottom of the baptistry to get the water to... To drain, and then after I got it pulled, I had to stand there dripping wet with my hair looking like a dovetail you know, those 50s style ducktail standing there in front of people while it just slowly went, you know, it draining. It took about 15 minutes to drain. And Matt Fowler's grandmother was one of the people getting baptized that day. And we're just standing there, and we're just standing there, and we're just standing there. And, and I was so embarrassed because I tried so hard to be so prim and proper. It was Easter Sunday. And I mean, I, I, might, I, I look like, but I know in my heart I did everything, that, I did everything for the right reason, I tried very hard to do it all for the right purpose, and I still look like a fool. But when it was all said and done, I thought, you know what, God has a purpose for why this looks stupid. For one thing, I can tell you this, everybody that was there that day have never forgotten that baptism. And it was a reminder to me that, you know what, as much, I was so focused on everything being just right. I mean, I was a young preacher. This was my first Easter, first baptism, let alone Easter service. And, and oh, wow, wow. I mean, talk about a joke. Everything I planned went kapui <clears throat> But it was like, you know what? The point is, is they got baptized. I mean, that's the point. And people saw it. And the message got preached. And that's the point. And sometimes I think God allows us to have it all fall apart. Just so that we can say, you know what? It doesn't matter how we look. God can use anybody if we'll be humble. And you've got a golden opportunity. Because you're coming back to the area soon. Now... We need to pray for her. Because the devil knows she's got a golden opportunity. The devil knows that there's family members and other people that need to get saved and she might influence them if she starts showing off Jesus to people. We need to be contented to pray for Loray as well as we have been. Craig also. I mean, everybody, we need to be praying for each other. Why? Because the devil wants to get us Tear us up, get us off track, whatever it might be. And I've been around the Pharisees before. I've been around them. And sometimes I've been one of them. And they're just a turn off, you know? They're just such a turnoff. It grieves my heart when people accuse me of that. Oh, that's not what I want. Oh, that's not what it's about. It's not about perfection. It's not about having a perfect record. No, we're human beings. The only one that has a perfect record is Jesus. Isn't that right? And so what we should be showing people is, look, Jesus is the one who makes the difference. And it's his grace. And God is good. And I'm a fool. But that's okay because the Bible says he uses the foolish to confound the wise. He uses the Foolish and the base that confound the things that are mighty. He uses the Davids to show the Goliaths and the rest of the people that he can handle it. He tells Gideon to get rid of the ten thousand and get rid of the thirty-two thousand, then the ten thousand, because he can do it. He can do it with just three hundred. He uses those things on purpose to prove that he doesn't need what we think he needs. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And so humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Let God be in charge. Let God humble you and humiliate you. And so I've learned, I, I still have a hard time with it, but when things start to unravel, I think back to when I'm standing in this tank of water and my hair looks like fifty style, you know, you know those ducktail duck things that they used to do with the grease in their hair? My hair was like that, you know. And God knows how much I, my hair is important to me. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking like a fool. And every time, and I think to myself, you know what? God's got a reason for me to look like a fool once in a while. That's okay. I'm going to look like a fool. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay. It's good. It's good. I am not a professional, and I will not be a professional. You know what a professional is? A liar. Because you've got to lie to people to make everybody think everything's smooth. Things are not smooth. I'd rather be honest than a professional. we got to be humble. we got to be humble so the grace of God can reach us and use us and cushion us along the way. We can't be Pharisees. We can't be proud. We've got to be humble people. Pray for one another and pray for these new adults that are getting saved and needing to be baptized. Pray for them. Pray for their families. Pray for what God wants can do in their life, that it will happen. Pray for these girls over here. Pray for their mom to get saved. Pray for each other. Let's ask God to pray and, and pray that we'll be humbled, that he'll rotate till our heart. What if, what if God wants to break our heart? Nobody wants a broken heart in here tonight. But that might be what we need. God might want to break our heart in order to just do more with us. He wants to grow some more tomatoes, and he can't do it because the ground's too hard. He wants to break it up. Maybe God just wants to break it up. We gotta let him we gotta let him do it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the ability as saved people to have your grace. But help us to realize it requires broken ground. It requires humility. It requires a heart that is humbled before you. Help us to be humble people. Help us to be thankful that you're so good that you can get down to the lowly. It doesn't have to be high people. Help us to understand that you, you love the the lowly as long as the lowly are broken. You love a broken and contrite heart. You love that. you You pay attention to that. Help us to be that type of heart and to be humble and holy. Help us to shake off and to despise the haughty spirit and the self-centered and the self-righteous attitude that we have so often. Help us to trust you. Help us to lean on you. Help us to be broken. Help us to be stirred and, and challenged and reminded that it's not us, it's you. And then help others to see that testimony of how good you are to us, even though we're foolish, even though we're just silly sometimes. Help us to demonstrate that you're a good God and you love your children and you spank us when we need it because you don't want us to get astray. And we thank you for that affliction. Help us to be humble receivers of whatever discipline you give so that we can be better Christians for it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. My name is Pastor Matt Furz of the Mountain View Baptist Church in Custer, South Dakota. And I have a question for you. If you died today, where would you go? Not sure? Well, the Bible tells us we can know. These things are written that we may know that we have eternal life. and The Bible tells us how we can go to heaven and not hell. And that's why I'm talking to you today. I want you to know what I know, what I found from the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, Verse 23, the wages of sin is death. What is sin? Well, chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin brings us short of God's glory. When I think of falling short, I think of uh, an arrow that misses a target, doesn't hit the bullseye. Comes close, but not quite. I think of two people standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon trying to jump to the other side. A dumb idea, but the illustration is is that if I was average as a jumper and you were the world's greatest jumper and i jump 5 feet and you jump 65 feet well that's pretty impressive but the truth is we're both going to fall splat to the bottom because we're not good enough either one of us and all of us are sinners whether it's a lie or murder it's all sin and all have sinned and come short of the glory of god because of that the wages of sin is death all have sinned all people die and we know what wages are. We, we talk about minimum wage. It's our payment. It's, our, it's what we deserve. It's what we have coming to us. And we've all sinned and we all die. But it gets worse because Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You mean there's a second death? Yes. Yes. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire, this is the second death, and so the physical death is not really the one to worry about, it's the second death. You're either born twice or you're going to die twice. You're either born again or you're not. And if you're not saved, then the wages of sin is not just the physical, but it's the second death, eternal lake of fire, as the Bible says, everlasting damnation. That's what we're talking about here. That's why this is so important. Now, listen, you don't have to go to hell. The Bible tells us at the end of that verse, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't say, for the wages of sin is death. Sorry. No, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice right away it says gift versus wages. Wages, we earn that. But a gift, you can't earn a gift. If a gift's truly a gift, it's free. There's no strings attached, there's no deals made. If I was to offer you my truck and all you had to do was mow my, my lawn for the summer, that'd be a good deal, but it wouldn't be a gift because it wouldn't be free. But salvation through Jesus Christ is a free gift. What was the gift? Well, the gift was that He died on the cross and paid for our sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, and verse 8, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the gift has been paid for. He's paid for it. He cried out, it is finished, paid in full on the cross. And when he paid the payment for our sin, it was paid in full once for all. Three days later, he rose from the grave and he's alive forevermore. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift, not of works. If it was of works, we'd boast. And it's not that way. There are religious people who think they're on their way to heaven, and they boast and act like they're something. But I'm telling you, the Bible says it's not anything to boast about. I'm not boasting to you today, but I am a very grateful, thankful person because I've received the gift of salvation. And I'm just kind of like one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And that's what I'm trying to do is tell you it's a free gift uh, and it's for you it's for anyone whosoever for God so loved the world John 3:16 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life Will you believe that would you receive his gift <clears throat> if it was offered Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Down in verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's free. It's available. It's for whosoever. If you're understanding that, and you're understanding it maybe for the first time, truly understanding that it's a gift and not a religion, not about doing. See, the whole world has religions of different kinds. But honestly, all of those religions outside of Jesus Christ are a doing, a work, a performance to try to earn and merit salvation. But friend, the Bible says it's a gift. God so loved the world, he gave. Not God so loved the world, he made a deal. And so salvation is totally free, and it's just up to us to receive it. In John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to the end gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Would you receive the gift of salvation? Would you receive it simply by faith and trust him and him alone? You know, when we talk about works, so many times I've heard people say, well, yeah, I, I think I'll go to heaven. And the question is why? Well, because... I've been baptized. I've heard so many people, especially here in America, that, that say baptism is what's going to take them to heaven. They were taught that by somebody, but they didn't get it out of here. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's a work. I think of a man that was on a cross next to Jesus. He was a thief, but he asked the Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now you think about that. That thief didn't do one good thing to earn his gift. He didn't climb off the cross and get, join a church or get baptized or anything. He had no opportunity or time to perform anything. He simply was offered a free gift of salvation and he took it. It's amazing, amazing grace. And it is by grace that we're saved. When I talk about baptism, I think of a wedding ring. It indicates that we're married. Now, if I was to take this ring off, I'm still married. Why? The ring doesn't make me married. The ring's just a symbol. It's just an outward showing of something that took place inwardly. And you know something? Baptism comes after the belief, after the inward decision. Then comes the baptism, just like the ring in a wedding. I would never take a ring and put it on a baby's finger and tell that baby they were married, would you? But you know what? Many people Think that a baby baptism is what makes them okay. It doesn't, friend. It's a lie of the devil. Plenty of people in hell have been baptized, but they weren't believers. And it is the belief, not anything else, not any religion of any kind. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. What does that mean? Turn from whatever it is you trust in and trust only in him. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In Acts eight thirty-seven, the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe with all my heart. When Philip challenged him, why should I baptize you? He said, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It was the belief, not the action. The belief, friend, that's what's most important. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a man named Wally, and Wally prayed a simple prayer of salvation, something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know the penalty for sin is death and hell. I know I need you, and I need your free gift of salvation. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to save me, and I trust in you and you alone for that salvation. Please receive me as I receive you, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't remember exactly the words I said to Wally, but I know that that's what I taught him. And Wally prayed that in his own words, in his own way, out loud. I heard him say it. That was on a Sunday afternoon. He asked me if I could give him a Bible, and so I brought him a Bible the next day, Monday. He began to tell me with a joy and a smile on his face that he knew he was on his way to heaven because of Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. Hey, you know what? Wally is a whosoever, a whoever. Just as the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How about you? Would you like to call upon Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would you like to pray right now and ask Him to save you? Please, rewind this video and pray that simple prayer or something in your own words based on what the Word of God says. If you have more questions, contact the website address connected to this video or our email address. I'd be glad to visit with you, uh, contact you and, and email you or, or over the phone or whatever. I'd uh, love to answer your questions and uh, please seek out the truth. Find someone who knows the book and ask them to explain it to you again. Don't give up on this until you understand what it means to be saved. Don't just trust it mentally in your head, but in your heart believe and repent of whatever knowledge you've been given from a religion and turn by faith only in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never regret it. Thank you for your time.